Someone may ask, how much longer are we going to be on this subject as long as the Holy Spirit keeps us here? Last week, we took a brief look at the activity or the administration of God's love in us by the Holy Spirit. Let's remember what Romans 5, 5 says. Remember, he's talking about having hope. And not only this, we hope what? We have hope what? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we have now resident in us, and we've talked about this. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.17. We are new creatures in Christ. What has happened as a result? All things have become new. The old things have what? Passed away. They have been done away with. They have been crucified in Christ. The way we were before we were born again, as constituted under the governance and the captivity of Satan through sin, that governance and captivity, that authority over us as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection as applied to us by the Holy Spirit, what has happened to that governance and authority of Satan that Satan used to have over us? What has happened to it? It's no longer there. And now we're under, govern, under the governance and authority of God by the Holy Spirit as a result of the atonement of Jesus and his resurrection, correct? Now God is applying his love into the garden of our new hearts, cultivating this new garden in us so that in this garden, his love may begin to be developed and grown. And the fruit of that work is called the fruit of the Holy Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit as listed in Galatians 5, and 23. You remember that. And what is the end result? What is the work of that the gardener wants to produce in us. When the thing is finally finished, he is producing the face of his own son. You remember we talked about that? That's what God is doing. And so how does he do it? He is taking the various, if you would, tools of love, six of which are listed here. Two ingredients, joy, um, two nutrients. Remember, joy and peace, the nutrients in the soil. And the six tools of love, remember, what, what are they? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. And these six, they're more, but these six. And so let's look at it again. How does God do this? And I have it listed for you, I think, in the notes. <clears throat> and listen, think about this. Think who is this God? What kind of a God is this? Who would work this way in us, given who we are in our flesh, 
and the corruption of our minds. Think. And as we just run through these quickly, think how we are with others. And think how we handle our relationships with other people who are obnoxious and slanderous and liars and unkind and all of these things on and on. Think, is there anyone in your life or in my life that has ever or is still ever causing me or you to be challenged as to how to relate? Anybody have anybody like that in your life? I'm telling your hand went up way too fast, brother. You know, way too fast. We have people in our lives all over the place that challenge us regularly. Do we believe, and I think I'll get through the class today, but that's okay. Do we believe, do any of us believe that we don't challenge God? If we challenge one another who are fallen and broken and corrupt and are the same type of people that I am and that you, we're, we're the same, we can all, if we do that to one another, what are we doing to this God? This holy, pure, perfect, all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, immutable, this God of ours. And if we have difficulty relating to one another with what? Patience. What are they again? Kindness. What else? Goodness. What else? Faithfulness. What else? Gentleness and with self-control. If we have problems relating to one another, being fallen people, what does it take for a God to relate to our impatience with what? His patience. What kind of a God is this? What kind of a God, when we are unkind to his children, what kind of a God is kind to us? What kind of a God is that, sissy? What is this? What kind of a God is it when we are patient, kind? What else? What's the next one? Hmm? What are they? Patience, kindness, goodness. What kind of a God is it when we are not acting in a good way or we are not good? And he handles us and showers us with what? His own goodness. Jamal, what kind of a God is this? What kind of a God is it when we are not faithful? When we are not faithful in myriads of ways, continually. And yet, he handles our unfaithfulness with his own patience, kindness, goodness, his own faithfulness. What kind of a God is it when we are anything but gentle with one another? Anything but gentle. 
And yet he stoops. He lowers himself. He condescends to be gentle to us in the midst of our ungentleness with one another. What kind of a God is this? What kind of a God is it when we continually, when I say lose control, you may think of going into a fit of anger. No, I'm talking about not being controlled by the Holy Spirit, self-control of the Holy Spirit control of ourself by the Spirit. When we are not walking in the control of the Holy Spirit, we're not self-controlled that way. When we are not self-controlled, we are not walking in the controlling, loving work of the Holy Spirit. What kind of a God is totally self-controlled in ministering to us? What kind of a God is this? What are we seeing here? You see, because in every case of these six and many more, many more, of caring, of compassion, just of so much, what God is doing is taking that which is rebellious and opposition to him and hateful to him and of the enemy And he's taking all of it, having forgiven it at the cross. That's why we can endure this with good joy. And he is pouring into these particular categories of our self-love, his own love. And in the midst of doing that, and as a result of doing that, our self-love is being transformed, becoming the activity of his love in this particular area. Do we see that? He is causing in each of these categories, if you would, each of these flowers, to be transformed. He's not removing our impatience. But he's touching our impatience with his own patience. He's touching our lack of goodness with his own, what, Steve? Goodness. He's touching our, what's the next one? What? Faithfulness. Is it faithfulness? Say it again. Say it again. Faithfulness with his own faithfulness. He's touching our own, what's the next one? Lack of gentleness with his own gentleness. He's touching our own lack of being controlled by the Holy Spirit, by his own control. What kind of a God is this? And in each of these cases, we are discovering That situation isn't irritating me like it used to. I'm literally finding I am changing. I am being changed. I am being transformed. I am finding that I, from within me, and I'm not trying to do it. It's from within me. I find that patience is being produced in me. In these situations that used to bother the mama out of you. 
I'm finding that my thought life is being cleansed day by day. I'm finding that my whatever it is is being transformed to be daily more reflective of the very nature and character of God. Do you see it? That's the fruit of the Spirit. I'm not trying to do anything. I am dying. He is crucifying these issues in me as I surrender them to him, as I confess them, as I yield to him, as I cooperate with his work in me. And I find that literally, literally, the very love of the Lord Jesus, the very love with which Jesus loved the Father and which he loves us, that very love is what's happening, is being produced in us. Do we see that? Do we see that? Now, all of this, I've taken a little time with this because I want to make sure we see what is possibly, and I'll say what is possibly. It's my opinion. I believe this reveals, at least to me, what is possibly the most startling, amazing, absolutely can't get near this issue. And what is that? God's humility. The humility of our God. What kind of a God is it? Who acts this way? Who takes us? And we know ourselves, don't we? And we yet we don't even really know ourselves, do we? And yet the little bit that we know is so much worse as far as the flesh is concerned. So much worse. And what kind of a God is it who walks with us in such a way as to wait for us, as to be gently taking our hand and half the time we're yelling and screaming and slapping his hand? What kind of a God is it who's whispering in our ear about a particular issue and we're trying to shout him away. Who is saying, peace, be still. And we're yelling and screaming because of something's going on. And what kind of a God is this? Who isn't tolerating our sin, but who is working in the midst of the activities of the flesh so as produce to produce the activities of his love by the Spirit. This is what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine. I am humble in heart. Actually, he said gentle and humble, but I left the word gentle out. I'm humble in heart. And I believe that if there is encapsulated any virtue, any attitude, that is more comprehensive about the way God ministers to us. It's this attitude 
this virtue, if you would. He does it every moment because of his humility. Every one of these six words is a description of the condescending, humble work of God, stooping to where we are in order to bring us up to where he is. As he has come in the Lord Jesus down to our fallen place to take us up to his risen place. It's the humility of God. As we see residential in the person and in the ministry, the work of the Lord Jesus. Let's look at Philippians 2, 6 through 8. By the way, isn't it interesting that the sermon last week that Pastor Keith preached what had a lot to do with this? And I know what happened. He looked ahead and watched this class, and now he's... But when we read this, what we do is this. When we read these scriptures, this scripture in particular, we read it pretty quickly. But we need to read it asking the Holy Spirit to give us a personal feeling or sense not only of the content, but of the very heart of what this scripture is saying to us. So let's read it and think about whom are we talking about here. We are talking about this assay God, this what? This self-existent being, this self existent, exalted, transcendent being. This one, this is the one we're talking about here, A.J. Wendy, this is the one we're talking about. Although he, this one, he existed in the form of God. Remember John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. Was God. This is God the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Son, we're talking about, equal with the Father and the Spirit, of having possessing the same attributes, the same aseity, remember, the self-existence. This is that one. Although he existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to his position. He didn't defend himself against the Father's will. But what did he do? He emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Infinity being wrapped in finiteness. Omniscience being wrapped in 
the limited knowledge of a man. Omnipotence being wrapped in a man who depended on others. What kind of a man, what kind of a God is this? And being made in the likeness of men. Remember John 1, 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we behold his glory, that glory as of the Son, full of what? Grace and truth. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now, what does this passage tell us? Although the Son of God was equal with the Father and equal with the Son, uh, Spirit, although this one possessed the same divine dignity, although he possessed the very same attributes with the Father and the Son, who is this one? What we must make sure we do when we look at the Word of God is to understand and as clearly as God will give it to us and as we will receive it, who this one is. Possibly one of the great reasons for weakness in the church today is our failure to know our God for who he is in himself. And hopefully this class, the Holy Spirit is helping us to have a greater appreciation. And although this one is God himself, verse 6 be what? He did not regard equality a thing to be grasped. He did not say, I want to hang on to my own expression of my identity, uh, uh, divinity. I want to be able to use my own powers to do what I think is best, etc. Now, do you have in your margin there, did I put another verse from Genesis in there? A thing to be grasped. You remember, why was Paul saying grasped? You remember Genesis 3.6? I told you the answers are in Genesis. I've been telling you that. Genesis 3.6, when the woman saw the fruit, she did what? She went out and reached for that which God said don't reach for or don't uh, uh, eat from that tree. She grasped it. And as our original parents grasp at divinity, you will be like God. Remember the temptation? They grasp at divinity, which is what we do regularly with our self-love. Our sin is a grasping at divinity, if you would. It is a grasping of self-autonomy. I am the person of my own life. I have rights, don't you see? Do you see that? And this one who had all the rights set them aside for the right of only one, the right of his heavenly Father to be manifestedly glorified in the Son. He humbled himself. He lowered himself. 
this glorious son did not refuse the father's will by holding on to the expression of his divine dignity and honor. I'm not going to go into the word kenosis, which means lowering, but essentially what it has to do. Listen, listen to this. When the son of God became incarnate, took to himself a human body and soul. When the son of God became incarnate in the man Jesus, he was still fully the Son of God. So don't reduce the Son of God to someone less than he is in this man, Jesus Christ. Amen? He is resident in this man. Now, this is a mystery. How, how do we get this? We just kind of look at it a little bit and move along because we don't get it. But he is the Son of God as fully in Jesus and at the same time, he is doing what Hebrews 1 tells us. He is upholding the universe by the word of his power. He is in this man ministering and experiencing our manhood and our creaturehood, submitting to the issues of humanity and of the fall through his own human weaknesses, and at the same time, he is still the glorious, ruling, reigning creator, sustaining and upholding all things and conducting, if you would, the orchestra of the universe at the very same time. That's a good statement. The Holy Spirit gives good statements. I can say that. Listen, there's nothing original in me. I don't, there's nothing that I say comes from me. So what did he do? He did this. He emptied himself. He set aside the use of his own divine prerogatives. And by the single, I think, greatest act of power, probably I don't know if you can say it was greater act than the creation and so on. I don't know. But this great act of power, imagine using his own power to limit the use of his power. Now, why does he do this? This is the greatest expression and definition and example of what humility is. But he's still fully the Son of God, and yet he restricts himself in this man to the experiences of the manhood of this man called Jesus of Nazareth. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The essence of divine humility is on full display in the Son's voluntary, joyful, self-emptying. He did not come to serve his own interests. He did not come to say something about himself or for himself. He emptied himself of that, of his own intrinsic glory, that glory that was residential in him and was his because of who he is as God the Son. Why? For the purpose of accentuating the Father's glory. 
Everything about the life and the ministry, the person of Jesus, was a pointing away from himself, denying anything of his own human benefit. Now listen to this. Denying anything of his own human benefit in preference for the benefit of the revelation of his Father. Everything about Jesus pointed to the Father. Everything about Jesus. This refusal to grasp, to hold on to it, to want his own rights, to do it his way, to live where he wanted to live, to work where he wanted to work, to say what he wanted to say, to respond the way he wanted to. He's a man. This is a human being. And don't you know, as a human being, there were things that he would have done had he not been self-emptied and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He would have acted differently. This refusal to grasp, this self-emptying, is demonstrated in Jesus' life of joyful submission to the Father's will at the expense of his own humanity. This is the humility of Jesus. Everything he does is at the expense of his own humanity, but for the benefit of his Father's glory. Now, we're not talking about a man who is beating himself and starving himself and, you know, and, and, and embracing weird things. No. We're talking about a man who is taking up the very will of the Father and living according to and out of and for that will rather than his own human will. Remember what John 5.19 says, 5.19 and 30. Again, this was in last week's sermon. Jesus said this. And these two verses are remarkable, John 5.19 and 30. You need to remember these two. Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. And then he reiterates it in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own initiative. What does that mean? What do you mean Jesus can't do anything of his own? He can do a lot, but what has he chosen to do? He's chosen to do nothing of his own initiative, of his own will, and live absolutely submitted to the will of the Father. This is humility. You see, because in the life of Jesus... The central focus and goal of Jesus is the Father. Everything about this man's life, may I say it again? May I say it one more time? Every decision, every thought, every word, every deed had one goal in mind. And what is that goal? the Father's glory. Now, we know Jesus was tempted to do otherwise. Did you read your Bibles? And those temptations are certainly encapsulated 
in chapter 4 of Matthew and chapter 4 of Luke. So it wasn't that no one ever said anything. I mean, the disciples say, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to die. This is a temptation. They say, well, why don't you do this? These are temptations to do something out of his own will for his own personal human benefit. But he's living for the will of another. This is humility. Jesus is not self-deprecating. Do you know what I mean by that? Oh, I'm nothing, and I can't do it. That's a lie. And many do that in the church. Oh, I'm really nothing. What do you mean you're nothing when God says you're a child of God? Well, certainly, you are someone. You are a great someone in Christ by the Holy Spirit. You are a daughter of God. I would hate it. It would horrify me if my daughter said, oh, I'm nothing. She's my daughter. If Jean said, I am not worthy to be your wife, what do you mean? You are my wife. You are worthy of being uh, with me together and walking with me, certainly. I do nothing on my own initiative. This is humility. John 6, 38, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Luke twenty two twenty seven. at the Last Supper, what does Jesus say? I am among you as one who does what? Serves you. What, what kind of a God is this who becomes a servant to sinners? What kind of a God is this who becomes servant to the filthy to wash their feet, to the corrupt to cleanse them? to the broken, to heal them, to liars, to bring forth truth, to those who are in violent opposition to him, to transform them into becoming his loving children. What, what kind of a God is this who does this? What is it exemplifying of him? His humility. This is Humility. We want to know what humility is. Where do we look? Look at the person and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. When did this humility begin? Be careful of the answer. When did it begin? It always has been. And what is the first expression of the humility of the Son of God? Nope, not yet. Because humility is in the Old Testament. Genesis 1.1. The expression of the humility of the Son of God is in these words. Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God. And he created what? The heavens and the earth. And who is this creator? All things were made by him, and without anything was made that was made. Remember John 1.3? He is the creator. That's the first expression of the humility of the Son of God. We're not talking about he became humble when he became a man. He became a man because he is the humble, submitted, eternal Son of the Father. 
And what is the continuing expression of the humility of Jesus in us today? Him deferring to the ministry and the person of the Holy Spirit, giving the Holy Spirit the lead in our lives so that we are born again and transformed by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus now, who is leading all things in creation, defers to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and gives that ministry to another to apply what he has done at the cross for us. And he defers to the Holy Spirit and gives way to the Holy Spirit. The Father gives way or defers to the Son. The Son defers to the Holy Spirit. You see this, if you would, deferential God. There is no religion on the earth like this. I think the seven words that you see in Luke twenty-two forty-two encapsulate the divine humility in Jesus most clearly. It stayed a couple of places, but this is the one I went to. <clears throat> Jesus is praying in the garden. Who is this man? This is the eternal Son of God in humanity. And he's going to experience something that he's never experienced before. He's going to, at the very highest cost, the son of the father is going to experience the wrath of the father in the humanity of Jesus. And this is a wrestling match. The battle of eternity, the greatest battle of eternity is not the cross. That's the cost. That's where its cost is you know, applied. The greatest battle of eternity is where? In Gethsemane. That's the greatest spiritual battle that ever has or ever will occur in Gethsemane. When all of the Father's will and purpose in creating is now laid upon and is given to the decision of this man. And how does this man respond? Father, not my will, but yours be done. What is the essence of the way God ministers? It's in humility. It's in thy will not my will. It's in God's preferences. It's in the self-lowering, not self-deprecation, but the self-will is submitted to the divine will so that the divine will carries the day, if you would, in us. He who is mighty has embraced self-weakness so that the glory of God's love might be declared in us who are earthen vessels. Now, this short lesson should give us a glimpse of the heart of God in our salvation. When we speak about God's love, we cannot and must not detach our conversation from the issue of God's humility. Humility, well, I'll talk about that next week. I was going to into something for next week. So this week, let's be aware of and ask the Holy Spirit to be creating in us 
or rather developing in us, wrong word, developing in us because he's given us a humble heart. Developing in us the humility because the humility, I believe, I call it this way, is the very soil in which the love of God grows. And so when I see lack of love in my life in any particular area, what do I do? I certainly confess it or whatever. But I ask the Holy Spirit, bring forth greater richness of the soil of humility so that your love will more richly grow in this particular area. That's just how I do it. So we'll see you next week.